Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Episode 28 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. I am Sai, your host, and I want to say thank you very, very much for pressing play and listening to today's episode. Joining us today, we have Mr. Craig William of the ProWrestlingMusings.com website, um, a site Mr. William has put together himself, looking very much at wrestling from a statistics standpoint, counting the moves, looking at who has the most offence with regards to uh, strikes and the time spent on the attack in the match or on the defensive. Um, It's a really interesting look at, I suppose, a different way of viewing wrestling matches. We have a little look back on King of the Ring 1993 um, and the tournament there featuring three excellent Bret Hart matches and analyse those using uh, Craig's statistics to get get a different look, a different slant, I suppose, on a pay-per-view that I've seen numerous times um, and I imagine most people have seen, but also the stories that the wrestlers are trying to tell in the ring become a bit more apparent when you're looking with these with these statistics in black and white in front of you. Um, I found it very interesting and I really hope you do as well. Um, before we get to that discussion today, so a little reminder to everybody to go and follow uh, both the shows I'm involved in. This one you can follow on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter um, at SJP Wrestling Pod. And my second show, along with my good friend, the podfather, Mags himself, uh, you can follow at chain underscore wrestling. Um, Check both of those accounts a follow on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the shows, interact as much as possible. And it makes it really easy for me to be able to tailor this show and chain wrestling as well, along with Mags, to be more of what you people want to hear. Um, And that's it, really. Thank you very much again for listening. Um, And I hope you enjoy the discussion with Craig from ProWrestlingMusings.com. Mr. Craig William from ProWrestlingMusings.com. Really, really happy to have you on the show, sir. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, we bit we bit nervous, like um, with with all podcasts. Um, but yeah, apart from that, doing doing okay. Um, yeah, how how are you? How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Cheers, not too bad. Um, yeah, don't. Don't, feel, don't try not to be feeling nervous or anything like that. I mean, I'm very new to this process myself. Trust me, if anyone's going to stumble over their words or, or sound like a fool, it will be me. Don't you worry at all. <laughs> <laughs> race, race the bottom. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, okay, I mean, the the main, well, two reasons, I guess, but the, the main reason that um, I've asked you to come on today is because I've been looking at your site and looking at the stats that you have and so on and the process you go through and i find it absolutely fascinating um so we we selected a a pay-per-view 
to talk about today, um, which you assembled your, uh, collected all your, all, all your information on, which we'll come to in a little while. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I suppose starting off, um, just, just tell everyone, well, tell me and everyone listening, um, a little bit about yourself and, uh, about your site, Pro Wrestling Musings. It's all very, uh, well, statistics based wrestling, isn't it? I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, I know it's kind of hard to explain um, where it came from. I suppose I, I did that thing that I think kind of everybody does where they, um, they, you know, you use the internet to look at wrestling stuff and then you end up on Twitter. You spend a lot of time um, on Twitter following a lot of people, not really saying anything, using it as a news site. Um, and then I think like a lot of people then set up your own kind of wrestling specific Twitter handle and think, oh, I could probably add something to this. What could it be? And you don't want to, you don't all, I didn't want to do um, what everybody else did. Um, AEW were talking about statistics. New Japan had started talking about statistics. Um, but the kind of what was counting for wrestling statistics wasn't really what I thought it could be. Um, being a lifelong football fan, um, when you watch a football match, it, it you know it could be two one 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 whatever, um, and then they roll out all these statistics. The winning team actually were really lucky to win because of X Y and Z, and yeah, it was just kind of it kind of grew from there. I just thought, well, you know, you could definitely do that for wrestling. Um, I think the best thing that I've kind of as part of my the way that I've gone about that is I've made a shorthand which is really quick, really easy to use. Um, I only watch matches once, um, so it do- so it doesn't you know kind of kill the joy. And yeah, it's um, I think it's interesting. I think it's something that um, could add to storytelling if if you know a wrestling company wanted to um, try going in that kind of maybe more nerdy sports based kind of vibe. Right. Okay. I mean, nerdy is right up my street, mate. That's exactly my. <laughs> My wheelhouse, that is. Uh, you mentioned there being a uh, lifelong football fan. Who, who is it you follow? Um, I have the distinct pleasure of being a Liverpool fan, which right um, now is, is wonderful fun. Uh, see, I'm a United fan myself, so I think we'll just, we'll just end the show there, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to... Uh, having grown up in the 90s and 2000s, I'm not going to maybe share too much of my feelings on um, Manchester United. No, no. <laughs> but it's it's interesting you say about how the the sort of football side of things um, maybe influenced you or, or sort of helped you along with it with this idea because it is crazy how certain things work with the football world. I guess you can have a team. I mean, the game that really stands out to me. There was a Champions League game a few years ago between Barcelona, um, you know, Messi and all these wonderful stars, and um, Glasgow Celtic. And Celtic, oh, I think right, okay. won, uh-huh. they either won one nil or two one. I think it was one nil, um, and they had only about seventeen percent possession, one to, one or two shots on goal to Barcelona, absolutely dominating the game. So it did. It, I know exactly where you're coming from, really, because the the stats behind Tony the Watt. score. Tony Watt Sorry? scored. Tony Watt scored. The, is that his name? Tony Watt, I believe, is a young Scottish. Oh yeah. Boy. I yeah, think I mean, it's worth the winning goal. I'm it was, sorry, it's, I can remember watching that match. 
Yeah, and 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 that I suppose that really sort of backs up what you're saying because the 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 headline of Celtic winning the game doesn't tell the story whatsoever. There's far much more to it than just that that scoreline. Um, how did you start then? What was there? I mean, there must have been a moment where you sat down to, um, I suppose, analyse, if that's the right term, your, your first wrestling match. Um, and how, how has it developed from that very first occasion? Yeah, so I can remember um, it was during, so I've been doing this for about 18 months now. Um, so it was like the summer of 2019, I think I was kind of thinking about all of this. And I kind of done that thing that everybody does when they start talking about wrestling content i had gone on the internet and given matches ratings out of 10 and stuff like that um but like that there's there's lots of people doing that and when you listen to people um that really know what they're talking about like i i can give a match two stars and then find out that everybody else thought it was a five-star match and i'm like oh i was just grumpy that day and i'm not i'm not uh, maybe oddly but i'm not the, always the best at seeing past my own feelings um with wrestling matches. So I think it was kind of, I wanted to do something different. Um, I think it was probably hearing about AEW talking about statistics. Um, and then I can remember being out for a walk up some hills one day during the summer and um, yeah, just kind of, kind of figured out what I would like to do with it or what, what I would, what I would like to do in terms of what it would be. And it, a lot of it is based off like possession in football, like but and then in in a football match they they display how many shots a team has, how many fouls they've given away, and um, how many shots on target, all of these things. And yeah, it's just from sitting down watching a wrestling match and then coming up with the things, uh, all the categories. I think the other thing that has helped is um, having played the old kind of wrestling games. Um, they like when you're playing old SmackDown games or what, whatever they might be, and there are different buttons for strikes and different buttons for grapples, and then dives were another kind of um, specific kind of kind of feature of the kind of maneuvers that you could use. So I think I think I mean I think probably a chunk of it comes from having those in the back of my head as well. Okay, no, that, that's that's very interesting. I mean, I, I've never been a particularly big gamer myself but mm. my son has had wrestling computer games and my little brother growing up had wrestling computer games even though he wasn't a particularly big wrestling fan so i did sort of see those in passing and it is it is quite interesting i suppose you can sort of look at it as how many times have you pressed that particular button maybe mm. uh, is, is that how you mean um yes yeah, so it could be kind of like that um i i so when i watch it it's pen and paper and i i use um, I use dots and squares, triangles, numbers, and a few other little symbols for other things. And then just every time something happens, I note it down, um, which sounds tedious. And it maybe sounds like it would suck the joy out of it. Um, but I don't know if it's just because of the way that my brain works or if it's my concentration span. But I've always been somebody that kind of struggles to sit down and really focus on something like like. Um, when I would grow up, if I was ever watching a film or something on my own, I'd tend to like play football manager at the same time or do something on my phone. I like, I struggle to um, be kind of, I don't know, like 
I kind of almost need to overstimulate myself. I sound like I've got ADHD. I actually don't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, I find that taking the notes really helps me notice things in the matches. I enjoy watching wrestling a lot more now than I did before I started doing this. And it, like it's a habit as well. When you build up habits, they become easy to easy to do. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's just having a system that's quick doesn't stop you from actually watching and enjoying and um, kind of enjoying the process as well, I suppose. Yeah, I mean that was going to be um, one one of the things I was going to ask you about, and actually it's, it's something that really piqued the interest of my wife as well. We, just before I came mm-hmm. upstairs and, and, and set up here to to give you a ring and start recording. <laughs> It was a conversation me and my wife had because she finds this whole process of yours um, very interesting as well. And and we were like, well, I wonder if you can still, do you still watch matches without taking statistics? Can you still enjoy enjoy a match just as is? Or do you find your mind wandering to that place anyway? Um, yes and no. Um, so I, I do find myself still like counting and stuff like, oh, don't need to do that. Um but I, I can, I don't, um, so I've been doing a, I try to do like an extended project for AEW matches and I kind of collate all the statistics for the 1v1s and the 2v2s and I've decided like if it's if it's ever like a hardcore match or a six-man tag match or, you know, anything that's not like 1v1 or 2v2, I, I don't do it. Um, so it's, it's, you don't have to, so... One, because um, those kind of matches are so different that kind of you almost need to start adding loads of categories. You don't want to exhaust yourself. But yet, two, um, it, they are very different matches and it's you can't compare a 1v1 traditional match to like a, a John Moxley, Kenny Omega, whatever, you know, that full gear match was called. Mm. Um, in terms of like... Do I enjoy watching the wrestling? It does make it a bit more of an intense process. So it's not, it's, so you know how like some activities you do are really chilled out and then some of them are a little bit more high intensity but can still be enjoyable. Like if you're sitting down to watch a film, like a comedy is really chilled out, but some night you might choose to watch some really intense thriller with, you know, um, and one night you would choose to do one and the other night you wouldn't choose to do the other. It, it's kind of like that. It's not, it does make wrestling slightly more intense kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I have to use a lot of my concentration, but yeah. again, at the same time, it doesn't, it doesn't really diminish it. And sometimes putting a little bit more into something like that does, you know, has its rewards in its, in its own way. Yeah, no, I, I see. I mean, you mentioned there about the um, AEW traditional 1v1 and, and 2v2 mm-hmm. statistics um this is your pinned tweet on on your twitter account at the moment isn't yes, it that, that yeah. you put out on the first of january yeah I was, i've got a note here to speak to you about this because i was going through this earlier today as well and there's just an absolute wealth of information there's so much there um mm-hmm. and it's all it's all put together so well as well it's all clear and i mean 
I, I, I like statistics. I like numbers. Mm-hmm. I like all this this kind of process. And like you said about the football stats, and um, you mentioned football manager there. I, I play the old championship manager games a couple oh. of times <laughs> back in the evenings, and that's all yeah. like numbers and statistics and so on. Um, so I like all that. However, the way the way we've got it here. Um, it, it, there's there's color coded parts. There's graphs. There's it, it, it's it's fascinating. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, with regards to the uh, that there then the e, the AEW twenty twenty in ring statistics uh, as it's written yeah. in front of me here. Um, that, that that's quite an undertaking to do, isn't it? That's quite a quite a demanding process because you're you're literally looking at from what I can see pretty much every single match, aren't you? Yes, yeah, so thanks. That's really that's really nice to have that notice like that. Um, yeah, so this is every traditional rules one v one and two v two match from AEW in um, in twenty twenty, and yeah, I mean it was it was planned. I didn't I didn't go back and like retrospectively did this. This is a it's a it's a year this is a year of me watching that one company's wrestling um, i mean that's 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 what i mean it's it's such a commitment isn't it it's a huge mm-hmm. commitment and, and that obviously you stuck to and it, and all this information is then there at people's fingertips and it, it and it looks fantastic but it's incredibly informative as well i mean it, was there any occasions where you thought to yourself, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of free with this or man what have i done putting myself through this or <laughs> Um, so there's one big thing that changed throughout the year. Um, this is just pay-per-view and dynamite. This isn't AEW Dark. Um, it included AEW Dark until around August, and then I chucked it because at the beginning of the year, AEW Dark was like four or five matches. Um, and then around July, June, July, they started putting on these like two-hour dark cards with like light on story and the matches were often you knew who was going to win because there's they're like 70 percent an established act versus an uncontracted act so like two hours it, it was very tedious and yeah i decided i decided not to do use that anymore um i suppose what that means is that the sample size for a lot of the acts is a bit smaller. There's less of them. When you look at the women's the women's stuff, um, it suffers because of that. Um, when when it's the women's kind of totals adjusted, so it's at least wrestlers with at least twenty minutes in the ring, and that's because when it's less than twenty minutes, their their this totals t- tend to be quite skewed. Um, mm-hmm. There there's only there's only um, seven. There's only seven uh, women wrestlers in AEW that wrestled for more than 20 minutes on dark or on pay-per-view in 1v1 matches. And so like, there's probably lots more when you add in tags and multi multi persons and whatever, but yeah, there's only seven uh, for that category. And yeah, it means that the sample size is a bit smaller, but what it also does is it also shows you and really highlights what the wrestlers um, wins and loss records are, along with all the various statistics um, on the big shows. So, like somebody like Scorpio Sky, 
um, wrestled two one v ones last year on on big you know not on dark. Uh, and he lost both of them. Whereas if you look at his win-loss record for last year, it's it's very positive. He was pushed really um, well on dark, but it didn't translate to... So he was kind of built up and then we'd always... He lost those two big matches. So, yeah, that that decision kind of has... Yeah, I, I, I don't think the product has... Like my product has been particularly damaged by that. But that was where I was like, I just, I can't... I can't do this and I don't want to because I wasn't enjoying I still watch little bits of Dark now if there's like a match that people said is worth watching. But I, yeah, it, it sucked the life out of me trying to be a, a kind of completionist in quite, in quite that way. Yeah, I, I, I bet. I bet. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I mean, AEW is the company that I watch the most of, I think. I oh. watch... I watch NXT takeovers. I watch the WWE pay per views. Um, I tend to get uh, my 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 Raw and SmackDown, I suppose, content through uh, going online and seeing what people yeah. are sharing on Twitter and Facebook. I, I don't I don't have the time to sit down and watch a three hour Monday Night Raw that I'm probably not going to enjoy anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so AEW no, is, is yeah. <laughs> AEW is primarily the company that I watch the most of. And a lot of that stems from my youngest daughter being a big AEW fan herself. And we, we watch it together. Um, but even that, just watching Dark, uh, sorry, just watching Dynamite, sorry, each week during this last lockdown, because there is no real pattern to what we're doing. I mean, I, I, I've been out of work. My daughter isn't at school. It used to be our thing on a Thursday night, come home, put, put Dynamite on. Now, we're a couple of episodes behind and all of a sudden it seems okay. like a huge, it seems like a huge undertaking to go back and watch all those episodes. Cause it, it adds up to hours and hours and hours of, mm-hmm. of footage, I guess. Now, if you're, if you're talking about doing dark as well, that's insane. <laughs> if, you're, yeah, if you're counting yeah. all the stats up in dark as well, I mean, she, she watches dark. I've never seen a single episode of dark mm-hmm. myself, not a single one, but my daughter watches dark on her phone cause she can get it on YouTube and, and so on that way. Can't she? But, um, to, to just be doing dynamite and the pay-per-views to me is still a huge amount of effort and work for you to, for you to piece together this, this incredible extensive um, item of work, I guess it's, it's quite, quite spectacular. Um, and you've also done some Japanese it is 455 matches. 400, oh, no, 400, 454, that would be with the header. Yeah, 454 matches. Why? I mean, that's insane. I've got it up in front of me here, and what we'll do is we'll, we'll tag all this stuff um, on the, the the show social medias when we release, mm-hmm. uh, so okay. people can know what we're looking at. But um, it's absolutely insane. And, it, and it's interesting as well, the... the, the the sort of conclusions you can gather from having this information mm, in front yeah. of you. You mentioned there about the women's division. Um, mm. And one of the big criticisms for AEW, uh, I, I suppose the main criticism, I guess, AEW has had is how they've handled the women's division and how they mm. haven't maybe had enough of a spotlight on it. Um, and there isn't enough of some of these ladies getting the exposure they maybe require. Uh, or the division yeah. itself maybe needs, and, and what, what you've explained literally backs up what people have been saying, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it does. Um, I, I, 
I'm a little bit softer on AEW in terms of the women's division. I think I tend to complain about things that people find tedious, like I don't like the way that they use models in AEW. It's, for example, it's all, all it tends to be women. Um, I hate the title. I always thought that title was a terrible representation of it and stuff like that. But I, I think that they're trying. I think the reason that the women's division is where it is is because I think they're trying not to... I, I think that they, from what I understand, they essentially use data to, to choose where to put all of the segments and stuff. I And I think that's why the women's division is booked the way it is because people don't watch it as much. I think it's fair to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm not hand-waving the criticisms. Um, I think that, that, you know, if you want to criticize them, criticize them about not... Um, recruiting better or those kind of things, then you're probably very entitled to. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, with regards then to to collecting the information, you say you have a... I, I want to sort of really look at the process now that, that you go through for mm. that. And, and you say that you've got a form of shorthand and it's all pen and paper and so on. Um, talk, talk me through how you would do a, a, a pay-per-view then. That, that, talk me through how you would sit down and do a, I don't know, a, a four-hour pay-per-view. Are you sitting there and doing it live in one hit or is it, and, and I suppose how many scraps of paper are, are all around you at once, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm, trying to, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to visualize how you gather the, the, this, this wealth of, of brilliant information. Um, so I use an A5 book um, and um, depending, like, depending on how long the match is, um, it, if, it's probably quite hard to, for anybody else to have this put in front of them and to make any sense of it. And um, when I've shown it to other people and tried to um, explain it more, I've kind of spaced things out a bit more, but it does look like just a cluster of um, random figures and kind of Sanskrit almost. Um, <laughs> Uh, so sometimes, sometimes when I do like a big pay-per-view and I'm kind of watching it because I want to watch it, but also trying to put something together too because it's a good time to do it and perhaps gain interest, um, it can be a bit of a juggling act. I can remember one of the first times I really sat down and tried to take advantage of an event uh, was Wrestle Kingdom 14, uh, so the one... Okay the previous year's one and I can and by the end of the second day I didn't want to watch wrestling for a very long time because it's just like sitting and I tried to do it to do it as live as possible I was trying to quickly throw things together between matches as people were like coming out and stuff it was very stressful um and yeah it was so I so now now I don't worry too much about it being live. If it can get out early and I can make like a little bit more of an effort to do so, then yeah, great. Um, but if it's coming out over the next day or two, I try not to worry too much about it because like, you kind of hope that if like the stuff that you're doing is worth people sharing and looking at that it'll, it'll get there anyway. I don't want to... Like it's like I have I have a job <laughs> that takes up a lot of my time. I don't want this to be like simply a job too, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I get where you're coming from. I get where you're coming from. Um, okay, I mean, 
with regards to that and the whole process and so on, um, we we decided we were going to have a little look at a pay per view together um, ourselves, and you, you it's one you've not seen before. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we we chose. Well, I say we. It was very much me. I was being selfish. We we, <laughs> we chose um, King of the Ring, nineteen ninety three. Um, the reason being, I thought it could be quite interesting um, looking at this because it, obviously the tournament format. You've got Bret Hart there who works uh, three different matches, three different opponents, obviously. And also, growing up as a kid, this was one of the VHS tapes I had that I virtually wore out because I used to oh, love really? the show. <laughs> So, I mean, it's not one I've watched back in quite a long time because in my head, I'm thinking I've seen this a million and one times from when I was younger. And I always remember it being one of my favorite shows. I adored it. I loved it and so on. So it's really interesting for me um, from a non-stats viewpoint, I guess, watching this back for the first time in a long time. And it's also interesting looking at the, you know, the, the, the information and the stats you've, you've collected mm-hmm. Um for this show that again back back when i was much younger i watched so many times so i mean we'll have a little jump into uh king of the ring 1993 then my friend shall we brilliant go for it okay um we start off with uh it's june the 13th 1993 uh, we are in the fantastically named nutter center in dayton ohio nutter center that's brilliant um <laughs> the attendance is just shy of six and a half thousand 1993 is not a good time in the wrestling business the wwf put out well you, you look across their their calendar year the raw rumble 93 was probably the worst raw rumble um wrestlemania 9 is normally quite high up on the um charts and uh polls of worst, worst wrestlemanias SummerSlam and survivor series are also pretty uh, pretty difficult shows to look back through but we had a, a fifth pay-per-view added to the wwf calendar for the first time and it was the king of the ring tournament um they cite quite regularly on the show this is the first one but obviously we know that's wwe trying to rewrite history they'd had them before harley race had won one um savage had won one and so on but this is the first pay-per-view standalone king of the ring event i enjoyed this show a huge amount when i was younger but i'm not gonna lie watching it back this weekend it's not as good as i remember it being how did you find it, just from a personal standpoint, what watching this pay per view through? Um, it, it's really it's really interesting. So um, I haven't gone back and watched a huge amount of older wrestling. I've been back and watched more recently old stuff that kind of comes just before what I watch now. But I I haven't really gone back to see much around this era. Out with like I watched a couple of the Ric Flair Steamboat matches. Um, mm-hmm. So this was this was a bit different um it's really interesting watching the differences and in, in how they work um and bret hart and mr perfect in particular do stand out as very very good workers um i, I kind of really enjoyed the novelty of it and then there was a bit of a lull um and then i kind of got back into it um for for the kind of the end of it was that lull around the hogan yokozuna match by any chance um, I I didn't mind that too much. I was kind of interested to see how they were going to 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 pull that off. Um, but yeah, I was I was 
A bit, a, a little bit. Like by the time they'd done the five, the five King of the Ring matches, and there was nothing wrong with Bret Hart, Mister Perfect. But like when I when that match finished, I was kind of like, cool, I'm I'm cool, I'm done. I I could stop now, and then. I don't, I don't really, and that's not a knock against that match. That was probably the highlight of the show. It's just, there was nothing else coming that kind of piqued my interest in the same way. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you've got, um, I mean, very quickly run through the cards, you've got, you've got the early tournament matches, and then obviously you've got, like you say, Mr. Perfect and Bret Hart in the tournament semi-final. Um, after that, you've got an eight-man tag uh, with Money Incorporated and the Head Shrinkers going up against the Steiner Brothers and uh, who are their partners? Sm- smoking Guns, Billy and Bart Gun. Um, I mean that that doesn't need to be on the show. You don't gain anything from I, that, um, really. <laughs> I straight up, I straight up skipped that one. Yeah, you did not miss. I, much I, watched, I watched all the rest, but I did actually straight up skip that match. Yeah, it's, to me, it's absolutely pointless. Um, you got Crush versus Shawn Michaels for the mm-hmm. Intercontinental Championship. I mean, it, it, I suppose historically, quite a big deal there because it's the first real time we get um, Kevin Nash being named as Diesel on air after he's helped okay. um, Shawn Michaels win back the Intercontinental title, interfering in a match with Marty Jannetty uh, for Michaels to regain that championship. Uh, we've got Hogan, Yokozuna, um, for Hogan to drop the belt to Yokozuna before leaving the WWE. This was his last match there until he came back oh, really? with the okay. NWO. Yeah, yeah, he departed for WCW shortly after this. Um, I, I, when I was watching this, I didn't know all of that, but I did know that he had. This is this is um, this is after the WrestleMania where he comes out after Bret Hart's been beaten by Yokozuna. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So that's yeah, that's basically what it was. It was it, he he came out and won the belt in what was it two and a half minutes or something silly like that, ninety seconds or something daft. Mm-hmm. Um, sending Bret Hart, I suppose, tumbling back down the card a little bit. That the Hart versus Hogan was supposed to happen. Some people say at this pay per view, um, Hogan okay. basically said no, I'm not going to do it. Um, which leads to Bret Hart still having ill feeling towards Hogan to this day, from what I can gather. But I mean. I'm a big Bret Hart fan, but you listen to him in interviews and so on. It seems like he's got ill feeling towards absolutely bloody everybody. He's quite a, quite a bitter man at times, which is a shame, but there we go. That's sort of what goes on around the tournament, I suppose. But I mean, what, um, what I've got in front of me is the statistics that you've gathered for the actual King of the ring tournament itself. And it's made for really interesting reading before we press play. Um, made a mistake immediately in the first slide. Um, yeah, but it's fine. We can I can amend that and point it out if we get to it. Uh, essentially, where um, submissions, Bret Hart's submissions against Razor Ramon is 115 seconds, but the mm-hmm. S is down a line, which has shuffled everything else down. So the 16 should be reversals, seven should be pin attempts and one foul, and then it would be zero taunts and zero finishers there at the end for Bret Hart. Tiny slip of the finger. I see. Okay. No problem. No worries. Well, I'll let you talk us through that then. Um, it's interesting, I suppose, because you can see... Uh, we'll see it very much when we get to the Duggan match shortly, I suppose, in comparison mm. to someone like a Bret Hart. The, the differences in styles that these performers have. I mean, the, the first match that opens the show is the quarterfinal King of the Ring contest 
from the King of the Ring contest, apologies. And it is Bret Hart versus Razor Ramon. Um, and, and looking at the info I've got here, it, it looks very much like Bret Hart kind of dominates the offense when, you, when you've got here 71% is down to, to, to Bret as opposed to mm-hmm. Scott Hall or Razor Ramon's 29%. Um, how exactly do you get get to that number? Is that literally a timing thing or um, divisive of the amount of strikes? Or how, how do you get to that percentage? So that's, um, that comes from adding up uh, so it's like it's their total offense. So it's strikes, grapples, dives, and uh, submissions put together. Um, the only the only detail there is submissions. I count uh, five seconds of submissions as the equivalent of like a move. Um, and so instead of doing it as like each hold as one move, it's like um, I've been timing them instead because like obviously sometimes a submission move is like a minute long and other times it's five seconds. Uh, so equating five seconds of submission to the, being the equivalent of one strike um, has, ended, has ended up feeling like the best balance. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, define, just, just define for me here so I know where we're going. Um, strikes, I'm assuming that's punch, kick, chops and so on yeah do you want me to just rattle through all the vocab Is that yeah that'd be brilliant yeah yeah, yeah. Excellent. that'd be fantastic uh, so the first two things there are strikes and strike downs um, in this strikes so Brett, Brett Hart's used 18 strikes um, one of those 18 strikes when he hit his opponent they dropped the mat so that's a strike down so the strikes is all of the strikes but some of those strikes are strike downs too um, okay so a strike's just like punching your opponent, chopping your opponent, they're still on their feet. Strike downs is the last punch that knocks them down or a clothesline or um, there's, a, there's like a diving crossbody used at one point in this. That So anything that's like a hit is a strike. Um, grapples are slams, throws, suplexes, anything where it's like, like a lifting motion or, you know, it's, it's not a hit, but it's like a drive slam, uh, etc. Um, diving is when um, it's essentially jumping off the turnbuckle, but I've also kind of made it be anything where the wrestler elevates themselves to use gravity to use more impact. Because, yeah, um, submission, uh, so it's a submission hold, uh, a reversal, blocking punches, wriggling out of um, grapples, that kind of thing. Pin attempts successful and unsuccessful uh, fouls is the thing that I get asked about the most um, what is yeah that was the one I was going to ask match? you about yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah, all the time um, I think that comes from fouls in football I think that's probably an obvious link to where my brain's gone with that um, that is anything that is technically illegal um, so to kind of quantify that it's anything that would get you disqualified if the referee saw you anything that elicits a five count or anything that the referee admonishes as well. Um, taunts is like taunts or showmanship. And then a finisher is anything that actually finishes the match. Um, there's, I get some questions about why haven't you counted such and such as a finisher? Because um, quite like uh, the one that sticks to mind is Darby Allen using a coffin drop on mm-hmm. a standing opponent. Somebody's saying, well, use the coffin drop, that's his finisher. But 
Darby Allen never pins anyone unless he hits the coffin drop on somebody that's lying down, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, I understand. Okay. Um Again, it's it's really interesting seeing, for example, um, with this match. I think the one that, that jumps out at me is, is the amount of strikes. They're they're relatively the same. Um, Bret Hart with eighteen, Razor Ramon with seventeen. However, mm-hmm. Razor's got four that actually knock Bret off his feet, uh, and Bret's yeah. only got the one. So I suppose it shows that I mean, Bret has the majority of the the match offense there. Mm-hmm. But maybe some of Razor's was a little bit more effective, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and also on that slide, so the strike down rate is simply just which percentage of their strikes down their opponent. So um, Brett, six percent of his one of one out of eighteen is six percent, according to my phone's calculator. Um, <laughs> and then four four out of seventeen is twenty four percent for Razor. So yeah, and again, this it's like. Like it, it does. This you're absolutely right. Statistics it does bring things up. Um, like that, uh, they're they're showing Razor Ramon as a big, strong guy by having by ha- having heavy hands, essentially. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, Brett goes on to to win this match and progress to the next round. Um, and his opponent in the next round, Mister Perfect, his first match on the show his his quarter final is against mr hughes and you see a similar sort of thing there with the strikes as well don't you whereas the baby face mr perfect has 20 but none of them are are marked as strike downs whereas mr hughes he he only hits 14 but has a, a pretty large number of six which knocks mr perfect down so i suppose again they're trying to tell tell the story of mr hughes being the big strong powerhouse of the match i guess yeah, and there's a there's a really interesting match from AEW last year where Lance Archer it was Lance Archer's first match, I believe, against Marco Stunt. And in that match, Marco Stunt actually got more of the offense. Um which is, you know, you they're a big dominant guy, you'd think that Lance Archer would have like ninety-five percent of the offense. And um, but what was happening is every time Marco Stunt had a chance, he'd do that kind of flurry of punches. That they mm-hmm. that they often do none of none of which barely affected Lance Archer, and then like every other one of Lance Archer's strikes is a is a strike down. So yeah, they they do you you do sometimes need to look beyond the quality, uh, sorry beyond the quantity, uh, like as you're as you're doing there. Yeah, and again, it's, it it sort of adds an extra an extra layer to the information available, doesn't it? I mean, if you're just looking literally at the number of times you know strikes were landed mr perfect looks like he kind of dominated that area but he didn't knock mr hughes off his feet once so that extra little layer you provide that extra little bit of information there completely changes the way i suppose you view view that stat i guess yeah yeah absolutely and it, it does it does offer the opportunity to you know have be able to point things out like that about um you know they're they're a good striker because they're finding lots of opportunities, but they're not very, maybe they need to, uh, yeah, figure out how to punch harder or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's what you mean. Uh, also interesting to me on, on this one, um, was that this match clocks in at just over six minutes, um, mm-hmm. before Mr. Hughes ultimately gets disqualified. Um, and there wasn't a single pin attempt, which I find quite odd when, when you've got a, a, a tournament match that, 
they're saying has got quite a short time limit at the quarterfinal stage and nobody's actually gone to try and win the match which again that, that seems an odd way of putting that match together but I suppose they're trying to get Mr. Mr. Hughes over as a big strong guy he gets himself disqualified and uh, we have Mr. Perfect advancing we mentioned previously about uh, the Duggan match um, mm. and he coming across very much uh, I think his his stats are really telling as to his style of work in mm-hmm. in 1993 for the WWF. Um, a high number of strikes, a high number of taunts as well, which I'm assuming with Duggan would be every time he shouts "ho" or "USA" or "essentially," yeah. Yeah, 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 which he does a great deal of, doesn't he? Let's be honest. I think it really tells a tale as to how Duggan works in this era um, with a high number of strikes and a, ho- a very high number of taunts. I mean, I mean, just talk us through that information there um, that I'm looking at, because there isn't much else to Duggan in this match, is there? Yeah, there's not really. Um, the only other thing that maybe is worth pointing to in that match, uh, the same as the other one, um, heels quite often use a, a lot of submissions and um, kind of grinding down the baby face to kind of, you know, get the crowd behind them. It was the same in the Mr. Hughes, Mr. Perfect. Um, match Mr. Hughes has almost 40 seconds of submission holds whereas Mr. Perfect has zero uh, Jim yeah. Duggan also zero and there's just over half a minute for Bigelow there yeah yeah and, and yeah. you're right it does it is telling I guess in the, in the way that they're I mean again it's fascinating to me you can break these down and really see how they're trying to tell the story that like you said mm-hmm. the heel using the submission holds to um, build up the crowd's support and, and so on, and then the babyface potentially having more strikes on on most of the matches we've seen so far, um, but yet the heel having more strike downs to again, I suppose, elicit that sympathy that you want from the crowd for mm. your babyface. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that that's what I would take from it as well. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, ultimately, Bigelow goes through here, um, mm. and then we get to uh, to Tonka versus Lex Luger, and this one is. I, I was pleasantly surprised when I watched this match back. I'm not going to lie. Just, just before I even get into the stats in front of me, uh, I was not expecting much from this contest. I knew it would go to a time limit draw, and that they were both. What well, neither mm. of them were going to advance, but this match is better than what I remember. I also sat there the whole way through thinking, okay, this is all right. I mean, it wasn't a technical mm-hmm. masterclass by any stretch of the imagination, but there seems to be a lot more going on in comparison to the matches involving Mr. Hughes and Jim Duggan that had just been on before this. And then I get your stats in front of me now, and I can I can see that is actually the case. I mean, we've got a huge number of strikes in comparison um, from Tatanka and Lex Luger. Both are using submission moves as well. Um, a fairly even number of grapples and so on. I mean, it does sort of tell the tale of a more, I mean, it's a longer match for a start, which would, which would add numbers yeah. on, I'm assuming, but it does sort of tell the story to me of there being a little bit more going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I liked this match and um, I liked it quite a lot, actually. Um, there, there was a bit of bite to it. They, they had, did, I think they had a pre-existing story from what I could pick up and, um, Tatanka came running out and they got into it straight away. Um, yeah, there was like 60-odd strikes. Um, they were using grapples and they were using submissions. And yeah, it was it was far more layered. There were lots of pin attempts, some reversals. 
a few fouls in there from each of them and some taunts from Lex Luger. So yeah, they were they were kind of generally um, most modern wrestlers do like all of these things, and it's about figuring out who does more of which. Whereas in the first few matches, you were finding that some were just like not doing certain things and some were. Um, so the Lex Luger Tatanka match is more more reflective of um, how this usually works. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree, I agree. And again, to me, it's, <laughs> I said when we sort of first started talking about the pay-per-view, this is a show I've seen so many times, but having mm-hmm. these numbers in front of me really adds a different layer to what I'm seeing. It's, it's almost like it enhances what I have seen on screen because it makes me understand yeah. more about what they're doing, the story they're trying to tell, if, if, if I'm making any sense there. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And that is essentially where the idea came from. Um, you know, what you were talking about with Celtic Barcelona, Celtic, I think maybe even at the time that was like a record low for a winning performance or something for in terms of possession. Yeah, I think you're yeah, right. I think, yeah, you know, yeah, um, you know, Brett Brett Hart won his opening match, but he had, you know, if you're a commentator talking about the statistics, Brett Hart won his opening match, but he really had to navigate Razor Ramon's, you know, heavier striking ability. I I think I think there's, you know, you can do something with this when you're talking about sports-centric wrestling stuff and maybe maybe this fits um maybe wrestling statistics fits more for japanese pro um promotions such as noah or stardom um but yeah it's it, it i i do agree and i'm always um i put a lot of time and effort into this because it, it doesn't feel like a waste of time it does feel like it's highlighting things that does does add to the stories so, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. No, one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm seeing extra mm. in matches that I must have seen. I don't know how many times I, w- I watched that video mm. tape. I really don't know. It must be over 100. <laughs> you know, back a hundred. Yeah, having... probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, back in the day when you only had four channels and stuff. You know what I mean? You're quite limited yeah. <laughs> as to what you're. <laughs> um, talking about the the strikes and the strike downs and so on, and, and Bret Hart's offense in his quarterfinal match. Mm. Um, his semi-final match against Mr. Perfect is actually completely the other way, isn't it? He's got far less strikes than his opponent, but he, a, a much, much higher strike down rate in comparison to his first match and in comparison to his opponent here, Mr. Perfect, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Mr. Perfect like more than doubled him in terms of strikes, but then Bret Hart more than doubled Mr. Perfect in terms of submission time. Um, so yeah, the, again, the statistics really do tell a story. Mr. Perfect uh, with more strikes, uh, Bret Hart kind of with the heavy artillery, I suppose you would say, more grapples, more submissions, um, more reversals from Bret Hart putting over his kind of technical ability. Mr. Perfect, nine fouls compared to Bret Hart's two. So he was on the ropes kind of having to dig into um kind of a more desperate bag of offense so and and yeah and with the strikes and strike downs as you're alluding to there Bret Hart's nine strike downs out of the 13 that he threw so like 69 percent of his strikes were strike downs which is a big shift um as, as his opponent got smaller I suppose you would say yeah yeah definitely uh, and also the reversal rates here 
um, that, that that you've provided for me. Bret Hart's reversal rate is 25%. Uh, Mr. Perfect's is just a smidge below that at 24%. Mm-hmm. So am I right in thinking then that basically in this um, near 19-minute contest, just shy of 50% of the moves were, were reversed. Is that correct? Uh, about 20, 24%, 25% of the moves were reversed. Mm. So like um, Bret Hart, uh, Bret, so Bret Hart reversed 25% of Mr. Perfect's moves and Mr. Perfect's reversed um, 24% of Bret Hart's, meaning 75 of Bret Hart's were hit and 76% of so yeah you, you wouldn't you wouldn't add them together it's as a portion of okay. the whole that's my maths I don't know if I'm explaining that very well <laughs> no 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 that's fine I mean it's that um, you've got two guys here I suppose in Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect who are Quite, quite predominantly map based, aren't they? Um, yeah. They're quite well known for their technical ability, and I suppose the match they had at SummerSlam '91 is a bit of a classic, isn't it? The the, the, the contest they had there was very map based, and this one that you, know, you go back and watch quite regularly and think this is excellent. I mean, this doesn't quite reach those heights, but it's still a very very good match. Are these reversal rates um, high in for for WWE. Wrestling, do you notice any particular stats maybe that are higher in WWE or lower in WWE in comparison to, say, Japan or AEW? Does, does the different companies have different different statistics that spike, I guess? Uh, so this is a really good question, and it's one that I would really like to have an answer to. Um, it's one that I hope to have an answer to at some point, but I haven't done enough kind of averaging out for companies and comparing it. Um, off the top of my head, something around 20 to 30% is normal. Probably okay. lower 20s would be normal. Um, anything getting towards, like, um, there was a particularly high one. So Bret Hart's 44% of Ramesa Ramon's moves, that's quite high. Um, but yeah, it, that, that's probably slightly above average for both, which makes sense in terms of the match that they're, that they're putting on. It is quite back and forth. Yeah, I understand. I understand. I mean, I'd be curious to see which company, I suppose. I mean, for me, I enjoy, um, I enjoy like map-based wrestling, hold for hold, that kind of thing. That's kind of what I more... I, I like to watch pretty much anything, but that's probably what's more of my favourite, I suppose, uh, style. Um, so for me, it'd be really interesting to see which company or which uh, which country, I guess, p- puts on mm-hmm. the wrestling with the most reversals or the most, um, yeah, yeah, reversals and counters, just to see which, I suppose, provides more of, of, of what ticks the boxes for my own personal taste. I suppose that's something else you can use statistics for, isn't it? You can, uh, you can sort of angle people's attention to things that, they might enjoy more because you've got the stats there to show them. Yes, this is what you like. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I've never quite put it into words like that. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I've, I've thought about comparing companies just because it would be interesting, perhaps, to see which companies are utilising submissions more or which are more mm. strike based. But I've never, yeah, never really thought about it in terms of recommendations. That's yeah, that's quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, you could have, say, for example, um, you, you get people, I suppose, who who love 
the Japanese um Mm-hmm. The Japanese style of wrestling, you know, New Japan and, and Noah and, and whatever else, and and have no real interest in say again WWE will use just for yeah. example. There might be a particular match in in WWE that the stats are more like a Japanese contest, so you can sort of say to people, "Well, have a look at this. You might enjoy this." And so I, I find that quite interesting as well. Um, again, though, yeah, it just comes I've down never, to I've never thought of it like that. <laughs> Yeah, but again, it just comes down to you having all this incredible information. This is oh. the, the possibilities are, are never ending, aren't they? It's, it's so. It's to me again. I, I keep saying it. I sound like a bit of a stoke record, but it's it's fascinating <laughs> to me looking at the these matches from this completely different viewpoint. I mean, I'm I've just turned forty years of age, been a wrestling fan for over thirty years, and I've never really watched wrestling in this way before. So to me, it's it's, it's a real eye opener. Um, after. Bret Hart defeats Mr. Perfect in, in a very, very good match. Uh, the final is Bret Hart versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Bigelow gets a bye in the semi-final uh, due to Tatanka and um, Lex Luger drawing. Uh, he means he gets a bye straight the way through. Um, Bret Hart ultimately wins the tournament after uh, the final match being just over 17 minutes. Um, and we kind of go back to we kind of revert back to what we were seeing earlier in the show as well, don't we? With the bigger guy being the heel, um, having a higher number of strike downs and a higher number or amount of time with regards to submission holds. Uh, And it kind of, again, backs up your, your, the way you were talking earlier with regards to the big, strong, more powerful bad guy uh, and, and the good guy kind of getting sympathy, I suppose, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The, I would suggest that just for statistics, um, easy for me to say, um, really <laughs> kind of really show how how Bam Bam Bigelow's wrestling or how, the way the match was booked really put him over as kind of the big strong force, like more strike downs, more powerful grapples, more grinding submissions. Whereas the the baby face Bret Hart, the smaller guy. The only thing that he led in was dives and reversals. So he's having to actually throw his body around and squeeze out kind of holds to stay alive. So, yeah, again, I I like when the statistics allow you to tell the story like this. Yeah, it really shines a spotlight on how how they're presenting this match. Yeah, definitely. Um, and also, just sort of finish up, I guess, with this, um, with, with the slides and so on that, I've, that, that you sent me for this pay per view that we looked at. Um, mm-hmm. I've got a graph in front of me now, and it's, yes, I yes. suppose the, the the it's the offense totals in five minute periods. Mm-hmm. And I suppose again, it it tells it shows again how they're telling the story of Bret Hart. Despite the fact that Bret Hart is obviously a former world champion at this point and a oh. former intercontinental champion, and, and we all know how talented the guy was. Mm-hmm. To me, looking at the stats, it really backs up the theory that he's being portrayed as the underdog in this contest. Mm-hmm. He's had to wrestle um, an extra match. He, he walks to the ring limping as well. Mm-hmm. Um whereas Bigelow in theory is is fresh and the bigger, stronger guy. And yeah, looking at the stats that we have and this graph in front of me, they're trying to tell, I think, anyway, the conclusion I draw is that they're trying to tell a kind of Bret Hart being the underdog fighting from beneath against the more powerful guy story. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, the, that graph there is kind of um, adding up all their moves in those five-minute periods. Um, Bam Bam Bigelow 
is far and above ahead of uh, Bret Hart for the first 15 minutes, and then Bret Hart manages to take control and ultimately wins it. So yeah, um, underdog would be the word. Mm. Yeah, it's almost booked. I don't want to say fluke, I guess, but looking at the stats mm-hmm. as well and this and this time period, I mean, um, Bigelow's line of offence shows that he was dominating for the majority of the match and then obviously Bret Hart mm-hmm. wins with a victory roll at the end. It does kind of almost come across like a bit of a fluke or he's 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 snatched the the victory away at the last moment, I guess, looking at this. Yeah, yeah, Um that and the fact that he was biting him as well, I suppose. Um, like it's a, it's like a survival, be booked like it's a survival win as much as a, you know, any kind of way of dominating his opponent. Yeah, definitely. I, again, I, I find it so interesting because it's really mm-hmm. adding to having all that information. It's, it's almost like. I guess I know the story they're trying to tell as a wrestling yeah. fan for as many years as I am. That I know the story they're trying to tell. Um, because I've seen it numerous times mm-hmm. with different companies and different different matches and so on. But having that information in front of me, it's almost like it's showing me how they're telling the story that they're trying to tell. Yeah. You know, which it is... Quantifies, it quantifies the story. Like, you can see by how much um, Bigelow was dominating, almost. Mm. Yeah, yeah, especially that, on the graph. You can see, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's the thing that um, has kind of aside from how just how many strikes the they use wrestlers use compared to like using actual wrestling holds um the other thing that's really stood out is how common it is for to have like a big baby face that tends to not dominate matches um john moxley in AEW certainly the, the first his uh, the beginning of his title reign and winning the title, he was always um, he was always kind of absorbing most of the damage in his matches. Um, Kazuchika Okada in Japan, he would take so much offense. Um, Kosabushi as well, um, Lord uh, Mayu Iwatani in Stardom, and um, there's one more that stood out. Uh, it's completely gone from my head, but yeah, there's quite a few like the top champions. Um, in wrestling promotions quite often are getting like 30 to 40 percent of the offense in matches so it, it is quite it is quite a well-used um strategy to to book uh, a match as having a an underdog or a resilient a resilient champion yeah i agree i agree it really just sort of stand out when you've got the the mm-hmm. cold black and white facts and figures in front of you i suppose yeah, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Okay, great. Well, we sort of come to the end of the pay per view there. Um, I find this this whole discussion brilliant. I find it so interesting, and I'm going to be, I think, pestering you for stats and figures <laughs> and different stuff over the however long. Please, you know, please do. <laughs> I, I will. I will very much will. <laughs> um, before I let you depart, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you, your site, and the information and so on online? Yeah, uh, thank you very much for having me on. It's really nice to um, be be spoken to with in this manner about like something that you are passionate about and put effort into. It's really nice to um, for to hear somebody genuinely kind of take an interest in it. So uh, thanks very much for that. 
Um, no, no, thank you for coming on. I've, honestly, uh, the pleasure's all been all mine. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thanks. Cheers. Um, where can you find me? I uh, I run a website along with lots of wonderful contributors called ProWrestlingMusings.com. Um, Twitter, it's Craig PW Musings. And there's also the Pro Wrestling Musings Twitter account, which is kind of, uh, it's more focused on this. You'll find this kind of stuff on my Twitter too, but um, you also find lots of rambling and moaning and stuff. So if you just want just want the content, uh, there's at PW Musings as well on Twitter. Brilliant stuff. And I can strongly suggest that people go and check this out. Um, tweet Craig, have a little chat with him about stuff. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, have a look at some of the examples that he has on his Twitter and then uh, jump to the site itself, prowrestlingmusings.com. Have a gaze through. Uh, it might really alter the way you look at certain aspects of professional wrestling. And I mean, uh, to me, more information is always great. So I hope people do take the time to go and check that out. Um, as always, you can find me uh, on Twitter at SJP Words. You can find the show at SJP Wrestling Pod. Um, and Craig, just before we shoot off, I want to say once more, thank you very, very much for taking the time to speak to me today. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. No worries. And we'll tag all your stuff on the end um, when the show comes out so people can find it easily. Okay, my friend? Perfect. Thank you. Great stuff. Okay. And as always, thank you for listening. WCW enhancement talent Randy Hogan, baby, being in the ring with the Road Warriors, Vader, Abdul the Butcher, Midnight Express, and all them guys. Let me tell you, it was dang rough, but not as rough as listening to Cyan Mags on that chain wrestling show, brother. What you gonna do when this pair of fools, Cyan Mags, and chain wrestling, brother, runs wild on you?